Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hey, I know you sat down, you stood up, you sat down, but could we, almost like a Catholic church, stand up one more time? Come on, can you stand up? And would you uh, maybe just put your arm on the shoulders of the person next to you? Come on, just put that arm on the shoulder of the person next to you. Hallelujah. Father God, we thank you right now for that person on our left. We thank you for that person on our right. Father God, we believe tonight they came in one way, but Holy Spirit, we're expecting them to leave changed. Any area of their life that is broken, we pray that by your Spirit you would fix. God, things that maybe have been going on in their life for years, we know one moment in your presence can change them and transform them. And so, Father God, we thank you that right now your Holy Spirit is moving inside of them, empowering them, healing them, equipping them. Holy Spirit, we thank you for on the day of Pentecost, it says that you filled those disciples and just a few chapters later, they prayed again and Holy Spirit, you filled them again and they left that place with new boldness. We pray for that person on our left and our right. Fill them afresh with your spirit. There would be a new boldness to be upon them and there would be transformation and we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, somebody say amen. 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 You can be seated. Hey, can we give it up for the worship team? How good are they? Just amazing. And uh, worship team, I, I will probably like midway through need your help. Is that all right? Because I just, you know, it just gets to a point in the service, you're like, man, I need the worship team's help. Uh, and so if you guys would be ready, such an honor and privilege to be with you. Uh, your pastors, we have been friends for, we were trying to calculate, I think over 20 years, which is a long time. So I was probably like three years old when we met them and uh, just amazing. Uh, it's always fun uh, to come minister, uh, but it's even more fun to come minister with my wife, and so Rachel is with me, my wife, and this September, it will be 27 years, and so that, again, we got married when we were three years old, and so uh, just amazing, and uh, uh, when, when we were here last, uh, Joe, you were just, I think, just maybe just recently on staff. You had probably been part of the church. God was doing some things. And from afar, Instagram and, and your pastors and Facebook, all that kind of stuff, it is so amazing what God is doing in you. And uh, I'm going home and growing a mustache so I can be anointed like you. But how many of you know, it probably won't turn out very good. It'll probably look like a little, yeah. So anyhow, uh, can't be as good. So I wanna get into this word. First um, Timothy chapter one, verse 18 says, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you. Based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier, may they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Paul, the author two-thirds of the New Testament, the great church planter, uh, is telling his young protege, hey, there's going to be a battle, and the way you win the battle is you got to remember what God had said to you before, 
Because there's going to be some moments in the future that will be so difficult that you could have the tendency to give up. You could have the tendency to quit. But remember the prophetic words that were spoken to you before. Because if you can remember the God word that he spoke, then no matter what comes up against you, you're going to be like, come on, let's go. Because I can remember what he said. Does that make sense? And, and, and we see it even all the way in Genesis. We see that God tells Abraham, he says, hey, go to a land. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to bless you. Leave your father and mother. And so they get this God word, a prophetic word that they're going to go and possess. And the next few verses say, and then there was a famine. <laughs> then it was difficult. And as Christ followers, how many of you have ever been there? How many of you have ever kind of got a God word, got excited about it, and then Monday came, (laughs) and it was a little bit difficult? Anybody? One person, the rest of you uh, haven't had it, but you will. Okay, anybody know what I'm talking about? And and so the prophetic words that we get, although there is grace upon them and power upon them. There is also our responsibility to fight for those things. No, this is what God's word says. No, this is what he's declared about me. Come on, no, 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 no. <laughs> this situation that I'm looking at is not gonna define me, but I'm gonna get through it, Amen. Uh, Jeremiah makes a really interesting story in Jeremiah chapter 36. And I, I want to read some verses, 21 through 32, and we'll, we'll jump in and out. But the Bible says that the king sent Jehudai to get a scroll. Jehudai then brought it from the room, and he read it to the king as his officials stood by. It was late autumn, and the king was in the winterized part of the palace, sitting in front of a fire to keep warm. Each time Jehudai finished reading three or four columns, the king took a knife, and he cut off that section of the scroll. He then threw it into the fire section by section. Somebody say section by section. Until the whole scroll was burned up. Neither the king nor his attendants showed any signs of fear or repentance at what they had heard. In fact, even when the the, the men begged the king not to burn the scroll, he wouldn't listen. Verse 27 says that after the king had burned the scroll on which Barak had written Jeremiah's word, the Lord gave Jeremiah another message. He said, get another scroll and write everything again just as you did on the scroll that the king burned. Verse 32 says, so Jeremiah took another scroll And dictated again to his secretary, Barak, and he wrote everything that had been on the scroll that the king had burned in the fire. This is the part I want you to get. Only this time, he added much more. Turn to your neighbor and say, much more. more. Father God, again, we thank you for an incredible 
time of worship tonight, an incredible day in your house, all the campuses, everything that you are doing and about to do with classes and ways to get involved. And now, God, we're having a moment where we want to get into your word. Holy Spirit, I know you're the great teacher, so scoot me over and begin to teach your people. Would we have an encounter with your word that would change us, that we would be like Jacob. We would walk out of here different because we had an encounter with you. God, I thank you that it's your word changes the way we think. It renews our mind. It's your word, the psalmist said, if I put it in my heart, it'll actually change my behavior. It'll keep me from sinning against you. And Holy Spirit, it's your word that increases our faith. So God, I pray we would leave this place with increased faith. God, we also pray for the Los Angeles Lakers. They really need victory in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say amen. Uh, 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 Rachel and I have uh, the privilege and honor to not only pastor our church in LA, but uh, sometimes we get to travel and we get to come places like we're getting to be here. And, you know, I don't want to name drop or anything like that, the churches that we go to. I, I actually hate name dropping. Uh, I was just talking to Oprah about that last week. I just, you know, really hate it. But uh, uh, oftentimes, um, you, maybe somebody will follow us on Instagram or follow us on Facebook or Instasham. Come on, if you know what I'm talking about. And, and they will maybe see Rachel and I and our kids living in Los Angeles. We don't live too far from the ocean and maybe see different places that we are and just kind of, you know, maybe just assume that everything is easy. But like most of us, we probably all have a story. Probably the thing that I like the most about talking with people, meeting people, is actually hearing their story and seeing what they've had to overcome. And if we handed the microphone tonight and just let people tell their stories, it would be pretty powerful to just know what people are going through. Sometimes people that we maybe have known for a while or maybe just didn't really know and they're on our aisle, our row, didn't even know that that was their story. In fact, it would probably get a little Jerry Springer up in here, right, with uh, so many different crazy stories. And, and my story is that um, I was actually abandoned as a child at nine months old. My biological parents were addicted to heroin, and my mom was actually shooting up while she was pregnant with uh, me. And so when I was born, I was in the hospital in and out for the first several months because I was actually born addicted to heroin and had to go through heroin withdrawals as an infant. As I begin to preach, you'll go, yep, I see that, I see that, yeah, yep. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, at nine months old, my parents got busted for drugs once again, and they uh, had to go to jail. And so the police department, looking down the list of next of kin or whoever, went to Ruth and Victor Campbell's house and dropped me off, rang the doorbell, and all I had was a bottle filled with Coca-Cola 
and a, a diaper rash, they said, up to my neck. And the only way they could get me to be quiet because of some of the drug addictions and stuff like that was just Coca-Cola. It was like that was the only thing they could get me to stop crying. And so Ruth and Victor, uh, uh, you know, got this mysterious knock on the door, but I must have been cute. And uh, they, uh, they ended up actually adopting me. And um, they weren't Christians, though. And they really wrestled with changing my name because they were like, who names their kid Israel? And they didn't go to church. They thought, what, was his parents playing spin the globe? Like, was I an inch and a half from being called Iraq? Like, <laughs> what, what, what was going on? And uh, Victor ends up saying, not a Christian. Victor says, you know what? He got dropped off at our house with nothing but his name, let's keep it. And so they kept my name, Israel, changed my last name, and uh, adopted me. And, and to be honest, I, I, they told me the story of being adopted, but I never like, found out like at 16 went, oh, and freaked out. They just always told me the story. And it wasn't like they always told me, you're adopted. It wasn't like that. <laughs> but, but, but I just always knew. And so... Um, at, 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 at eight years old, my mom and dad, Ruth and Victor Campbell, weren't Christians, and they were um, on the verge of a divorce. In fact, my mom, uh, was, was, she was done, and she got a newspaper. Any old school? Come on, you remember the newspapers? Yeah? You had those in Australia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and she opened up the newspaper. We lived in Southern California, and in the newspaper, she was looking in the classifieds to find an apartment to move me and her out of the house and find an apartment. But in the classifieds, there was an advertisement for a church called Praise Center, and she had never been to church all of her life. She saw the advertisement and said, hey, Israel, we're going to go to church. So we went to church for the very first time that Sunday when I was eight years old. And at the church, they had Sunday school, and I went. And that Sunday, they talked about the Israelites. And I was like, my people! <laughs> yes! And so I got saved, and so did my mom. And my mom came home, and she says to Victor, hey, I know we talked about divorce, but I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I want to work this out. And he said, I can care less what happened to you. <laughs> you thought it was going to be good, didn't you? <laughs> and, and so my dad said, yeah, whatever, you want to stay here, whatever, I don't care, just really didn't care. And so uh, we started going to church every day, we, getting baptized and, and getting involved with church. And my mom would leave Christian books <laughs> all around the house. And for two years, we never thought my dad even looked at him. But uh, 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 unknown to us, he would get his finger and he would mark on the table where the book had been and he'd get the book and he'd read it as if not to get a crease that it had been ever opened 
but he read like 30 Christian books for two years, knew more about the Bible than our pastor did. And uh, one um, day, uh, I think I was about 10 years old, came home and there were all these people at the house and my dad was crying and I'd never seen him cry in my life. And he's bawling, he's crying. And I immediately like, what, what, what's wrong? I knew sense something, I thought something was wrong. And they said, your dad accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And uh, so just, just amazing, very awesome. And that was on a Thursday, by Friday, by Monday rather, by Monday, he quit his job and went to Bible college at 40 years old for the first time. And, and so he, he just crazy, loved God's word, loved God's house. And, and probably a few late years later, after graduating from Bible college, he was like, come on, we are going to launch a church. And so we moved from California, moved to Seattle, and uh, we launched a church. My dad uh, got a, a van, and he got it wrapped, and it said in really big letters, Jesus is Lord, and really kind of small, the name of the church, Victory in Christ Center. And uh, it was a little awkward going to school in the Jesus is Lord van. <laughs> Didn't get a lot of dates. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and, but the church grew very much like your church, full of great people, full of uh, just lives being changed. And oftentimes my dad, no pressure, but he'd be like, Israel, you know, there's a call of God on your life. And I think that someday you might be in ministry. This might be your church someday when I retire. You're, you know, your name is Israel. And, and before you were even formed in your mother's womb, God had a plan for you. And so I, I kind of was like, yeah, dad, but I'm, I'm probably going to be a professional athlete. Uh, and, you know, if, I, I just don't think that would work. But anyhow, church grew and, uh, you know, they, they planted it on their own. Every resource, every uh, money that would come in would almost always go to the church plant. They're always buying equipment for the church. We even didn't have offices back then. The house was kind of the office. And so if somebody did call the house, I'd have to answer it. Victory in Christ Center. This is Israel. Again, no dates. Come on. Uh, and uh, the day before my dad turned 50 years old, the day before my dad turned 50, the church was going to have a surprise party for him. So they actually had pastors coming in from different places and regions and family was going to do it. And we were going to do a big surprise party for his 50th birthday. And the day before, the phone started ringing at the house. I'd pick it up, Victory in Christ Center. This is Israel. How can I help you? And they're like, Israel, where's your dad? Like, I, I, I don't know where he is. He, he went kayaking with his brother. They're supposed to be back in a couple hours. I don't know. Phone would ring again. Victory in Christ. Where's your dad? Probably six or seven calls asking where your dad is. And what had happened is my dad and his brother were in a kayak and they were in a river, and it's still a Guamish River up in the Seattle area, and the boat capsized and they found my dad's shoes. And they found his toe prints 
on the side. So he had gotten out of the water, but it looked like he had dove back in the water probably to help his brother. And so they did not know where he was. They thought he could have gone down river. He could have gotten disoriented. So that night, um, we had the, the helicopters with the lights. We had the dogs. And we had all the people that were there for his surprise party walking through the woods. And my dad used to do this. He would go, and that was the sign to come home. So he'd go out, if we were outside playing, remember that, you, you could play outside, do you remember that? Yeah, uh, and, and then he would whistle, and then I would whistle back. And so I'm 16 years old, going through the woods, whistling, hoping, praying, that we would hear a whistle back and we could find his location. That night, uh, nothing happened. Didn't find him. And the next day, we got up early. Again, dogs, police, everybody in the church, people in the community going through all this area looking for my dad. And I spent all day <whistles> waiting for a response. Nothing. Third day, they actually sent divers into the river and they found my dad's body. And he had passed. And of course, so many of us have, have, have felt loss and have felt that hurt and tragedy. And I was 16 years old and I, I lost my dad. I lost my pastor. I lost my friend. I lost my coach. And, uh, you know, it was rough. It was rough on my mom. It was rough on the church. But how many of you just know God's faithful and he just, he's just there? And so um, we uh, didn't really have anybody on staff at that time that was really called to be a lead pastor. Had some people that could have, you know, filled in for a little, but we didn't. And so we actually, a pastor from a, another church came up and, and he became the pastor of my parents' church. And we just kind of gave him everything. Like, we gave him my dad's library. We gave him the Jesus is Lord van, and he traded it in for a Honda. Come on. Uh, we gave him, like, we even gave him, like, my dad's suits and all this stuff. And, you know, those are big shoes to fill for a, a great pioneer of faith. And just my dad was, like I said, pretty incredible that he would get saved on a Thursday and go to Bible college on a Monday. It's just not normal. And so uh, about two years passed, and this pastor was trying the best he could or whatever. And uh, he actually got up on a Sunday morning, and he said... To the congregation, God told me to marry my secretary, and my secretary's husband is going to marry my wife. How many of you know? For, uh, wife swap before the TV show, right? How, how many of you know nobody came to that church the next week? I mean, there are a few people, but okay, you know, just the crazy ones are like, hey, no, uh, uh. Bad joke, sorry. Uh, so, so every, everything my parents worked for, my inheritance 
was gone like this. The Bible says that Jeremiah had been given a prophetic word for the children of Israel. Some of these words you would know, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you. This was a message delivered to the children of Israel who were in Babylon telling them that, come on, God hasn't forsaken them. God has a plan for them. And the Bible says that God begins to speak to Jeremiah about what is about to happen and what the future holds. And the, the king didn't like what God's word had said. And so he began to take the scroll, and the Bible says that he would take it section by section, and he would begin to burn it up. Here we are in 2024, and we all have stories of prophetic promises, prophetic declarations, and we still have an enemy, the New Testament says, that we cannot be naive of his devices and his strategies. Maybe for you, it's a word like peace. We know in Isaiah 26, 3, God declares that you and I can walk in perfect peace. But we have an enemy that comes to kill, comes to steal, and comes to destroy. And right in front of us, there's something that will happen that will cause our peace to dissipate and our peace to be destroyed. And our peace to be gone can be things like everything that we've gone through in the last two years when it came to COVID. Anxiousness and mental health is at an all-time high. And so the enemy loves to, just like this story in Jeremiah, get one of the promises that we've been told and right in front of us, he'll begin to burn it. But the Bible says it wasn't just one thing. The Bible says that it could be line upon line, section by section. Maybe at first it's just peace, but then maybe the next thing is something like healing. And you get a negative report. You have a surgery that you have to have. And it's like right while you believe that by his stripes you are healed, something happens, some kind of sickness, some kind of pain. And the Bible says that line upon line, the king would throw the line of the scroll into the fire and there it would be burnt. Maybe for you, it's not just one thing, but maybe it's your children and you had a, a promise. <laughs> we have a promise 
in Psalms 35, 27, that our children will serve God all their life. You raised them in God's house. You put the right seeds in them. But right now they are a prodigal son and a prodigal daughter. You love God. You believe God. But it's just like this story where the enemy starts to crumble and burn the dreams that God has declared over you and your family. And it's never just one thing. It's like a slow, painful, prophetic death to our destiny. He doesn't destroy it all at once. He just wants us to line upon line. Stop believing. I know Rachel and I, when we told this story this morning, we first moved to Los Angeles, we had more people on the worship team than we had in attendance. And when you had been to our, both of our campuses in North Carolina, we had property, we had buildings, and, 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 and God was moving, but there was just this desire to go and start a church. And man, every single thing that could go wrong seemed to go wrong. And it just felt like the enemy burning the dreams. Maybe it's your finances. Wow. Interest rates <laughs> have gone up. And they've gone up, and they've gone up. Maybe you're a young adult, young professional, and the dream is to buy a house. And it's like, are you kidding me? Prices have gone up. All those people moved up here and made the prices get more expensive. <laughs> and financial dreams of God providing and God doing something can just seem to be evaporated and thrown away right in our face. Maybe it's, maybe it's friendship. It's like you have a lot of friends on Facebook, but you're lonely. It's like they don't get you. Or maybe you've been in a situation where you were close to somebody and then they just started acting crazy. Maybe that's only in the United States. Maybe that doesn't happen here. And if they're next to you, don't point to them. Just move your eyebrows. <laughs> it seems like every friendship that you had and you were close to it feels like the enemy has destroyed, ruined, and now you feel empty. Maybe it's marriage. Started out good, started out strong, but just, it's been tough. And, and the enemy has now caused it to not really be a marriage. Now it's just a good business partnership now you're just there 
because of the kids. There's no romance. There's no love. There's no mutual respect. And the enemy laughs as he grabs the dream and he places it in the fire to dissolve and be ruined. Maybe, maybe it's just your future. Maybe right now you're overwhelmed and you're like, why am I in the job that I'm in? Why am I at the uni that I'm at? It doesn't feel like there's any hope of what I want to do. And you just take the job because it pays the bills, but actually you hate it. And there's thoughts in your life of depression and thoughts of maybe even suicide because this wasn't the plan that you felt God set for you. And the Bible says that the king would burn the prophetic promises. Most theologians believe it was a combination of 26 years of collections of the things that God would say. Most theologians believe that it would have probably taken nine months to write all of that on a scroll. And like that, it was gone. And with the smell of burnt dreams in the room, with the smell of burnt promises still in the air, God does something amazing. <laughs> God says to Jeremiah, Yep, every line has been ruined. Every promise has been burnt. But Jeremiah, <laughs> the thief, comes to kill, comes to steal, and comes to destroy. But I've come to give life and to give it more abundance. He says, Jeremiah, get another scroll. <laughs> Worship team, I'm about to need your help. <laughs> Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, get another scroll. No, 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 listen. Y'all said that too nice and too quaint and too cute because the person next to you has experienced some burnt dreams and some burnt promises. And there's gotta be something inside of us that understands, Paul says to Timothy, you better remember the prophetic words that were spoken over you because there's gonna be a moment where it feels burnt and there's a moment it feels like there's no answer. And Timothy, <laughs> you better grab another scroll <laughs> with the smell still in the air of burnt dreams, with the smell 
in the air. Did I just throw my pen? Way over here? Wow. With the smell of hurt tonight. You're here tonight. Things aren't perfect. It's still in the air. Still painful. God says you better get another scroll. And there's an Old Testament principle that if you catch a thief, he has to pay back seven times. Job, (laughs) when he at the end gets double for what was lost. And there needs to be a generation of people with the smell still in the room that we begin to say, I don't care what the enemy stole. Come on, I believe that there is a word that God gave me and I'm pulling out the pen. And the enemy might have said that I lost it, but can I tell you, this is gonna be my year of peace. The Bible says great peace have those who love thy law and nothing shall offend thee. Come on, I've got the mind of Christ. I don't care what I've been through. I'm pulling out a scroll and declaring peace. (laughs) Healing, 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 healing. Yeah, might have had a bad report. Yeah, might have gone through something, but come on. The Bible says he went through every town healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come on, you've got to grab your spouse by the hand. You might have to grab your children by the hand. Come on, there was a bad report, but we're getting another scroll. It's going to be my year of healing in Jesus' name. (laughs) My children are going to serve the Lord. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a God of multi-generations. Come on. The enemy may have tried to win, but I am pulling out another scroll. My dad never saw me play a basketball game. My dad never saw me get married or preach my first message. We serve a God who's so amazing that now, what, even though the enemy tried to burn, destroy, (laughs) we have three kids. (laughs) One is our youth pastor. Other one just got done of Bible college, I mean bridal college. (laughs) And just last couple weeks ago, I was preaching in Atlanta. I was praying for people. I felt a hand on my back. I thought it was the bishop praying for me as I was praying for his congregation. Because I felt the power of God. I looked as my little 14-year-old son Silas. Praying for his dad. Can I tell you, 
It's time to grab another scroll and say, I don't care what the enemy has done. Come on, when it comes to ministry or church, when it comes to finances, he's Jehovah Jireh. When it comes to friends, come on. One can put a 1,000 to flight. Two can put 10,000. Come on, my marriage, woo! We're gonna be reading out of the Song of Solomon tonight, baby, come on! With it still in the air, Jeremiah says, pull out the pen. Everything that he burnt, we are going to write it again. We are not giving up. We are not quitting. But here's the part I close with. (laughs) The Bible says, not just what was stolen or burnt. He says, and write more. The faith audacity to have been through what you've been through, to have been through what I've been through, to then now come on a Sunday night. You could have been anywhere. You could have been at home watching cricket. You could have been at home watching a rerun of Friends. But you had the audacity to come in with the aroma still in the room. There is something that is stirring inside of you and there is something that is stirring inside of me that says we serve a God and he's not just a God who makes up for what was burnt. He's a God that says he wants to do more. Ah, I don't know if there's something stirring inside of you tonight, but I believe it's time for you and I to say yes, all of that was burnt, (laughs) but I'm believing for more. I need some wisdom. (laughs) Anybody need some wisdom? (laughs) If you didn't raise your hand, you need it, come on. (laughs) James 1.5 says, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. Come on, I need some wisdom, I, I need some joy. Anybody need some joy? I'm sick of ugly Christians because of their frown. Sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. (laughs) Sorry, I should have wrapped up my message by now, but I'm believing for more. Joy, abundance, not just meet the need, I said, not just meet the need, meet the need. I'm believing for abundance in 2024. Me and this guy, and that's it. Anybody else say, come on God. Would you pour it, good measure, press down, shaking together and running over. Stronger as I get older. You're over 65, stand with me. You're over 65, stand with me. (laughs) 
Here's Caleb. Caleb says, I'm just as strong now at 80 years old than I was when I was 40. Can I tell you, get the pin out. This is not your time to decrease. This is not your time to just play golf. This is not just your time to just sit. Come on, God has a outpouring in you that we need. I'm just as strong. Believing for multiplication. I'm believing for fresh oil. Somebody say fresh oil. I don't want to talk about 1973. Don't want to talk about what we maybe had before. The Bible says, I shall be anointed with a fresh oil. Not I might, not maybe, but even in the air of disappointment, even after the enemy tried to take away my dad and, and tried to take away Rachel's parents. Come on, there's something inside of me that says, get me another pin. I believe me for more. There's a whole nother side. I wish you would stand to your feet and begin to lift up holy hands to God. I pray that tonight something would begin to stir. Something would begin to ignite where you would say, God, you are the author and the finisher of my faith. And I know you're not done. I'm believing for more.
I remember this moment. <clears throat> My dad had died. I got kicked out of college. The depression, suicidal thoughts were the enemy really, really, really wanted to end my life. Because you see, his plans haven't really, his strategies haven't really changed that much. He always in the infancy wants to knock you out. He wants to knock you out before you can even get there did it with Moses. Pharaoh tried to kill all the babies. If he can knock a Moses out early, then he won't have to deal with a Moses later. Herod tried to kill Jesus as an infant. If I can get him early, I won't have to deal with him later. And the enemy just thought, if I can get this 18-year-old kid, <laughs> if I can get him to be depressed and get him to be suicidal, get him out early. Won't have to mess with him when he's 52. Tonight, enemy has been attacking you. And it's like the dreams, it's like the promises are under attack. But tonight you would say, <laughs> you would laugh with a joy of the Lord that would be your strength. And I'm not trying to like laugh at the situation, but what I'm saying is, there's something in you that says, Nice try. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> but I got another scroll. <laughs> you tried to burn it. <laughs> tried to get rid of it. <laughs> tried to take me out. But God said, get another scroll, and there's more.